Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. That familiar stand-up bass, it means one thing. You have aimlessly wandered into the steam room. It's presented by Tissot, the official watch of the NBA, and personally, it's my favorite podcast. I don't know about you, Chuck. Is it yours? It's my favorite podcast by far. Not just my favorite by far. Well, awesome. It's great to see you. Uh, we've been seeing a lot of each other Oof. with the playoffs underway in the NBA. And, you know, both of us kind of uh, looking forward to a, a day where we can kind of chill on Friday. So we come to you on this Thursday with a... Another three NBA playoff games coming up and uh, a doubleheader on TNT. And um, and in the midst of all of that, we have time for our loyal steamers. We wouldn't miss the opportunity. So as we start every episode, uh, it's with Chuck's favorite phrase, first of all. First of all, you know you have a lot of money when you get hunting nut Cheerios. I've had the regular Cheerios. First of all, you know anybody ride a motorcycle who makes millions of dollars is an idiot. First of all, zero plus zero is zero. Well, I got some good stuff today. I really oh, do. Oh, wow. I do, I do. Very rare that you actually promote your own, first of all. I can't wait for this. Well, first, I want to welcome Wayne Greska to the TNT family. Oh, for sure. Shout out to whoever got us hockey. I, man, I love hockey. The Stanley Cup playoffs are the best event in sports. I mean, an overtime hockey is the greatest thing that can happen in sports. So I want to welcome Wayne Greske, uh to the Turner family. He's going to be a great addition. And uh, he's going to be awesome. That is uh, really big stuff. I mean, that's uh, when you think of a name associated with a sport, that's it. I mean, it's Wayne Gretzky and he's going to be a TNT guy or he's going to be wherever the games are seen on the on the Warner Media platforms. Yeah. And he's got the greatest nickname. When you get to call it the great one, you can't beat that. What a great nickname. Yeah. I used to call you the great, the great big one. Sad. You give it, then you take away. (laughs) (laughs) Secondly, hey, man, I want to give a shout out to Phil Mickelson. What an awesome winning the the major at 50. The oldest guy to ever win a major. Another great one. Uh, Yeah, I hadn't won in a long time and had one of the great weekends um, uh, for anybody who's an older guy. One of the great weekends ever. It was flat out amazing, and it's just really awesome he won. How did you feel about that pairing going into the final round? Here you got Phil Mickelson at the age of 50, and then you got this uh, this block of granite in uh, Brooks Kepka, you know, who who lives for majors. Yeah. Did you think that was a good pairing? Did you think Phil would be able to to maintain on the final day? I know in Phil, I know he wasn't going to be intimidated because Brooks likes to intimidate people. So I actually was concerned. I said, that I thought they might let Louis Ustazen sneak in there because mm-hmm. uh, those guys are going to be looking at match play. But man, he hung in there. On a tough track too, Oh man. my God. That place was crazy. I mean, that place was crazy. So, but shout out to Phil Mickelson. We got the great match coming up with him and Tom Brady against Aaron Rodgers and uh, Bryson DeChambeau. I cannot wait. A little disappointed that Phil fired me and we won. No, you just went out on top. There was no firing. There was no, there was no, you know, like this uh, separation that was acrimonious in any way. It was just like, look, you guys went to the mountaintop and said, what else is there for us to do as a tandem? Yeah, I'm just a little disappointed. What exactly is Tom Brady did to take him over me? Oh, I mean, excellent point. I mean, what has he done lately? I mean, come on, Phil. Excellent point. Now, shout out to those guys. I can't wait to watch the match. It's going to be awesome. And last, oh, my first of all, Bryson DeChambeau and Brooks Kepka. <laughs> Please keep the shade coming, man. I am loving this. I think it's great for the game. As long as they keep it classy and humorous. As long as they keep it, as Shaq would say, WGB, <laughs> as he said on the air, white guy beef. White guy beef. <laughs> you know, you know, I, I love it, man. I, like I say, I think it's great for the game. Because to me, it seems like they both got 
a great sense of humor. People think Bryson is just a mad scientist, but the guy's a great, great player. And Brooks hated. Sorry, bro. That was one of the coolest. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? But Bryson's comeback to that was not bad either. When he talked about, you know, it's, you know, it's kind of nice living rent free in your head. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I tell you what, though, it's like I say, as long as they don't get personal and listen, now everybody's going to be hoping they got to be paired together at a big tournament sometime soon. So just keep it going until that happens. On on a Sunday at a major. I mean, we got the U.S. Open coming up. We got the British Open coming up. I want want it to be in the States, though. No disrespect to the British Open. (laughs) I I, I want those guys paired Sunday morning on a major. It would be awesome. However, Chuck, if it were to happen at the Open Championship, those tabloids over there would have a field day with that, man. Yeah, I 100% agree. But, man, the only thing better, the only thing that could be better if, it, if they were actually in the match. Uh, I'm excited for the match because always we raise a ton of money for charity. But the only thing that would be better about the match if it was Bryson <laughs> against Brooks, it would be awesome. Yeah, that'd be something. Uh, oh, those are all, those are all good. Is there anything else? First of all, cause I do have, I'm going to throw one out there at you if you don't have anything else. Okay, brother. I, I'm done. Go ahead. What you got for me? I, I think you should share with our loyal steamers your, um, I guess, amendment to the NBA rules about what should happen if a fan, uh, does something like what the fan did in Philadelphia, dumping the popcorn on Russell Westbrook. And yeah. at first you had said he should go into the stands. And we obviously do not want. We don't want players in the stands. And, and I misspoke on that. But your alternative is, I think, first of all, our fans are amazing. Our fans are amazing. But there's always one or two idiots or jackasses. I think you should be able to pick a fan out and say, come down to center court and let's settle this like a man. I mean, you can shout everything you want to from a distance. You can throw food on me from a distance. I can't get to you. But if you're going to be mano a mano, I think every time somebody gets out of hand, they should bring you right down to center court and y'all squash the beef. <laughs> Just squash the beef right there at half court. You know how excited some of these NBA games would be if that would happen? It, it would be different. That's for sure. I, You know, I don't know. If this does get to the desk of Adam Silver, I, I, I don't think that it's going to go any farther than that. I don't see him stamping his approval on a midcourt beatdown of a fan who gets out of line. Well, first of all, he owes us. Don't forget now. Remember, he sent us. He sent me the text the other night when I took a shot at him for giving us those three blowout play-in games. <laughs> he says he does owe us some close games. But I will tell you, hey, the two Hawks games – his next game, yeah. he's almost made up for those play-in games. That's been so much fun oh, so far. You know, uh, it, w- what's really going to be interesting going forward uh, is how they end. Because, like, it looked like that place was they, – they said they only had, like, twelve to 13,000. It looked like it was packed in New York. And the same thing in Philly. Like, I wonder – we need to find out what are the rules going forward on fans. Because they can't just have New York – and Philly have full stadiums and then have half capacity of a couple thousand people in the other arenas. I don't think that's cool at all. I've seen a lot more as, as, uh, as I've been looking at articles around the league that a lot of these places are going to be absolutely full. I mean, that, that they're opening up to capacity and it's increasing as we go. And so I don't think you're ever, I don't think you're going to see anything that's a, uh, hey, you're playing in front of 17,000 here and 2,000 there. I mean, like Atlanta's, Atlanta's going to be full capacity for well, game what three. About, what about the Clippers the other night? They still had cardboards there. They had some cardboards, yeah, but they had people there too. Yeah, but they only had like a couple thousand. I mean, so Chuck, more... we're, we're talking about 6,100 at a Clipper game. Uh, Washington had 11,000. Utah, 14. New York, 15. Brooklyn had 14. Mm. Phoenix had close to 12, and Milwaukee was about 9,100. Denver, 77.32. So between one-third and a half, basically, in, 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 in most places. Well, well, still, still doesn't, it, doesn't it 
come down to what you know what the protocol the states have in line yes yeah i mean I, yeah I, i'm curious about that though because like i say I, i'm curious to watch the lakers now yeah let's do that good man let me tell you something there's a couple places like i say those two games in new york man that brought back some great memories for me number one playing there when we played them in the playoffs one year uh, watching them play the bulls I mean, that ball back, them play the Pacers. Well, you tell me as a player, Chuck, what made it special in that building? Well, number one, the, the energy. The energy just pumps you up as a player. Like, you don't even get tired. When, when you make a play and they're jumping up and down, like, you don't even feel tired at all. But also, it works the other way. Like, I understand what Trey was doing. It pumps the other side up, too. I mean, like, you know, every, when they're calling you names and booing you, it juices you up. So now you just got two juiced up teams going and man, it is electric and it's just exciting. Plain and simple. Awesome. Can't wait for the playoffs to continue uh, on TNT or as, as we record this, we have games tonight on TNT and of course through the weekend and, uh, and next week and the week after that, it's a, it's a good time. Good time. And the to week be a sports after that, fan. the week yeah. after that, the week and after good, that. <laughs> and, and, and I think it has just underlined the fact of how much we've missed fans and seeing fans, Ugh. even with, even with that bonehead in Philly who dumped the yeah. popcorn, just seeing the fans there and it, and it, and it feels kind of normal and, and hearing the roars of the crowd. I, I, like when the Knicks were coming back it, yeah, last, last night, man, every time they score a basket, they were going crazy, pumping crowd noise into it doesn't do it justice. Uh, so I'm just glad to have the fans back. There's always going to be a couple of boneheads, but most of the fans are fantastic. We are underway here on The Steam Room. That was, first of all, presented by Charles Barkley on The Steam Room, presented by Tiso, the official watch of the NBA. Much more to come. It's going to be a fun show. Yes, it is. Have I told you lately how much I enjoy doing this thing? Uh, it's awesome. I love it. I love it. And we hope you do too, Loyal Steamers, coming back. Welcome back to the Steam Room, everybody. Ernie Johnson and Charles Barkley. There may be no bigger hockey fan in the world than Charles Barkley. Chuck, you are so dialed into that game, and I know our next guest. This this is just huge for us, man. This is I'm, – I'm excited. When I heard this, I said, I cannot wait to do this interview. I am ready to have some fun. P.K. Subban joins us. Man, thank you so much. We appreciate you. Ernie, Chuck, thanks for having me. Three-time All-Star, Norris Trophy winner, uh, defenseman for the uh, New Jersey Devils. So we get hockey now on TNT, okay? So yep. you, you, you're all up to speed on that news. Wayne Gretzky is going to be you know, uh, an analyst in the studio. It's all great stuff. So here's what I need from you, P.K. You've watched enough hockey on TV, and obviously as a player know the game. What would you want? to see from a TNT standpoint on how hockey games are covered and what can connect the fan with the game at an even higher rate than it does right now? Well, I think TNT has the opportunity to elevate the game. And I, I don't say that about too many other broadcasts that can really take hockey to that other level. I think TNT has that opportunity. I think the most important thing is TNT's got to be TNT. You know, I, I think that with hockey in the game, the game, in my opinion, can evolve and can really grow to be able to touch different people, people that maybe aren't familiar with the game of hockey. And I think doing it through TNT is going to allow it to resonate with a different audience. And that's the most important thing is TNT's got to be TNT. And I think that through time and over time, it's going to develop. But, you know, this is something that I've been waiting for for the NHL for a long time is to do a deal like this. And I'm excited about it. I think that with this new generation of players that's coming through the league, these young stars that, you know, and, the, and the, the new age of social media and players now feeling comfortable to step out and show more personality, it's just the perfect storm now with TNT coming into it. So it's a very, very exciting time. I think that having someone like Chuck, who's obviously a very prominent person with TNT and what you guys do with the NBA, have a familiar background with hockey and watching the game is a plus and a bonus for us. And to have the greatest player to ever play the game and Wayne Gretzky now be able to do some broadcasting, I think that's what the NHL is lacking, in my opinion, is having faces like that that are so prominent in the game 
you know, being in front of the camera to help promote the game. Everybody knows who Wayne Gretzky is, right? Whether you're a hockey fan or not, everybody knows who <laughs> Wayne is. So, I mean, he's the great one, right? So anybody with a name like that, to have that, you know, on TNT, I think is just the perfect storm. Shuckster says that the Stanley Cup playoffs are the greatest thing in sports. I, I mean, I, I can't disagree with him. And, and to be honest with you, uh, Chuck, I don't know if you've watched many of the games uh, this playoff, but I haven't seen hockey like this good in a long time. Every game is like in overtime. Every game's back and forth. Hockey's such a fun game to watch, but when the game's being played the way it is right now, uh, that's how you get new fans into the game. And, uh, you know, I can tell you this, watching it in person is one thing, but if you look at the fans, the way the fans are just coming back in sports in general, it's just so fun to watch and be a part of. Well, first of all, that was a trick question. I watched every game. I have two games on every night when I'm in the studio. It, it's been exciting. But, man, Vegas, other than the Avalanche, been off for almost a week now. Vegas, if they can win that series, Vegas against Colorado is going to be a knockdown. It's, it's a problem because they might be the two best teams in hockey. That's what's and they're playing each other this early. Well, listen, I'll tell you this. Vegas, since they've been in the league, you know, after the expansion draft, they're able to pretty much be able to handpick their team. And they've done a great job in the offseason. Alex Petrangelo, who they added on the back end, played in St. Louis, won a Stanley Cup there. They added some stability to their back end. And, you know, they just come in droves. You know, their captain, Stone, who stepped in and, and is kind of taking their team to that next level. I think that the difficult thing is that with the format this year in a shortened season, we're seeing so much more energy in the playoffs. So, you know, for a team like Minnesota, who maybe a lot of people, you know, had kind of written off in that series, they're playing with a ton of energy. And Minnesota's improved their team a ton. Like, I'm not surprised that that series has gone as long as it has. But if Vegas gets past that team, they can do some damage. That Colorado-Vegas series is going to be a series to watch for sure. But for me, the story of the playoffs, the team to watch, you got to watch the Islanders. That's a team... In my opinion, I watch the way they play. I like the way that they play. I got two uh, ex-teammates on that team, and Travis Ajak and Kyle Palmieri. That you know, I'm wishing them well. I want to see those guys contend for a cup. But the Stanley Cup playoffs is where it's at right now. Tell me about your charity stuff you did uh, up in Canada. So, well, now my charity sort of evolved. Seven years ago, I started my foundation, and it was when I signed my contract in Montreal. So, almost eight years ago. And when I started that, the first thing that I wanted to do was really get my roots into the city of Montreal. The fan base was, I mean, I, I can't explain how supportive they have been for me and how they continue to. I mean, like now when I go back there, it's like times 100. I started my foundation, P.K. Subban's Helping Hand. It was a $10 million pledge to the hospital there. And a lot of people ask me, like, why $10 million? Why not one? Why not two? Like, why 10? And, you know, my experiences through the first couple of years when I was in Montreal were very, very impactful experiences. I had a little boy who's not from Montreal, who's from Toronto, who had leukemia, who played for my old minor hockey coach's team in Toronto. And I was very, very close to this kid, Alex Shapiro. He was 11 years old and uh, got to know him really, really well and was really, you know, basically by his side. I wasn't there physically, but his last moments, I was on FaceTime with him. And he passed away at 11 years old. And that was sort of the last straw for me in terms of like, I got to do more than what I'm doing. Like going to the hospital at Christmas time and seeing the kids by myself, giving away toys, just wasn't enough for me. I didn't feel I was making a big enough impact and I wanted to help. So the hospital drove down the 401 to my house in front of my family, sat at my dining room table and made this presentation to me and said, PK, you've been working with us for a couple of years. But we think that this is something that can give you what you want and ultimately allows us to have a partnership with you to be able to help put this thing basically on steroids and be able to help as many people as we can in families. And now we've probably helped over 20,000 families and people. We've raised six and a half million dollars. We've had a huge impact, not just in Montreal, but in the country of Canada. And I got to really thank my team for that. Um, but on the flip side of that, we're now doing something called Blue Line Buddies. And when I first moved to Nashville from Montreal after the trade, you know, this is when kind of there was some disarray in the country, you know, and, and different things were going on. I had never lived in the United States. So it was my first time moving to the U.S., living in Nashville in the South. 
And uh, I wanted to do something in that community. And uh, this was right around when Colin Kaepernick was kneeling and all these things. And I'm like, man, what can I do? And my best friend was a cop in Boston for 12 years, you know, from Dorchester, uh, Irish dude. And he's one of my closest friends. And I sat down with him and I said, man, like, what can I do with law enforcement? And uh, with him, I developed this thing called Blue Line Buddies. And, you know, I, I called it Blue Line Buddies because we all stand on the blue line for the national anthem. And my thing was about building bridges and bringing people together. And uh, what I do is I purchase four tickets to every game. I bring in two underprivileged uh, youth and two police officers. They have dinner together. They go to the game. They enjoy it. After the game, they come down, meet the players. And we've had officers after these experiences pay on their own dime to take kids to the game. So I moved on to New Jersey. We do it in New Jersey now. And I really have to give a shout out to the players in Nashville and the organization for continuing that program and continuing to do it while I'm not there. So now we're considering getting other teams involved. And it's, it's been really, really great. Like the feedback has been awesome. I love the fact that you did that, too, because that's one of the things I saw in one of the notes I made was let's talk about this blue line buddies, especially at a time like this. And, and especially at a time like this week when we uh, it was the anniversary of George Floyd. And this is something that obviously NBA players have weighed in heavily on. Do you feel like you have the same um, latitude in the NHL to speak your mind? Yeah, I do. I think I think the way you go about it is also important. Like, you know, I I take a lot of pride in people respecting how I go about myself, you know, regardless of what's happening in the real world and how I feel, my goal has always been about bringing people together. And, you know, we know that there's things that happen in this world that have to change. There's things that happen in this country, in Canada and different countries that we'd like to see change that have to change. And I think that everybody has a voice. I think everybody's voice is going to sound a little bit different. Everybody's actions might be different as well. Like, you know, for me in the NHL, I'm not LeBron James. I may not be able to have the reach that LeBron has, but I'm going to do what I feel comfortable doing in my way to have the biggest impact that I can. And I think that there's many ways to skin a cat. There's a lot of different ways that you can have your impact. It's been doing it the way that I'm doing it. But I think with the NHL, it's a big enough platform. It's a billion dollar business. It continues to grow. So I'm going to use that platform the best way that I can. I went to a, a, a good friend of mine, uh, Rick Tockett, coaches. Well, he just got fired, so but he's my guy. So we went to a game. So I sit down with the guys who run the team, and he said, Charles, can I ask you a question? I said, sure, you can ask him anything. But he says, how do I get more black kids involved in hockey? And I says, that's a good question. I don't know the answer right now, but I'm thinking about it. What would you think that would be the best way to get more black kids involved in hockey? I was a part of a program when I first started in the NHL for four years and uh, it was with a car company. And what we did was in communities across Canada is we actually got kids who were fortunate enough to play hockey to donate hockey equipment. And so that we would have hockey equipment because the biggest thing I think is there's a lot of black kids and kids from different backgrounds that love the game of hockey that would love to play. Like, I grew up in, in Toronto. I went to Runnymede Collegiate, and I had a lot of friends that, you know, really didn't know anything about hockey. But by the time I was ready to graduate, knew a lot about it because they watched me on TV playing World Juniors and doing all this stuff. And they said, you know, I love hockey, but my parents never had the money to get me equipment, right? And once you get the equipment, you got to go and book ice. Well, I can tell you this. If you're living out in California <laughs> and you want to go and get ice time, it's like 500, 600 bucks an hour. Like, you're not getting on the ice. So it, it's very, very difficult to do that. And I think that we have to think about it. It's, it's one thing to say, like, I want to see more blacks in hockey, but what are we doing with the game to make it more accessible? And at the end of the day, we can talk about the culture of the game. We can talk about a lot of those things. And there's, there's things that we have to continue to develop within that. But the biggest thing is the financial divide, right? Like sticks. The stick that I use is like 300 bucks. Right, the skates are seven hundred bucks. The helmets, wow. three hundred. The pants are four hundred. The elbow pads are two hundred and fifty. But like, man, like registration in Toronto for hockey is like fifteen grand, twelve grand. It's like no one can afford that. Like I could barely afford that. My parents had great jobs, and if it wasn't because I was a good hockey player, very young, and teams wanted to have me on their team, they would help me out with registration, help me out with equipment, just so that I could play on their team. So. 
you know, it's it's very, very difficult. But Chuck, Ernie, I, I think it's the financial. Financially, whether it's through the NHL or we develop programs that can fund, you know, to give hockey equipment and ice time to these kids, you're, you're going to see less and less. Like, think about it. Some of the black kids in the NHL, their parents come from athletic backgrounds, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of them are, are dads played football or played basketball. Like Seth Jones is Popeye Jones is his dad, right? Like, you know, for me, I was very, very lucky. My parents almost lost their houses probably six or seven times just trying to keep me, Malcolm, and Jordan in hockey. So it's the financial, you know, it's huge. Yeah. So let me ask you this question. The people in the States got no idea. What's it like? I mean, my Canadian friends tell me, what's it like to play in Montreal or Toronto? Chuck, are you talking about off the ice or on the ice? Are you talking about I'm talking about I'm talking about on the ice. Only on the ice, BK. Uh, well, I'll tell you this, Montreal, it, it's, I don't want to, you know, throw any shade at my New Jersey fan base or Nashville and teams that I played for. Cause Chuck, you know what a game in Nashville oh, yeah. like. is crazy. Yes. But Montreal is just such a special place. And, you know, I developed a really strong bond individually with the fan base and I didn't realize, you know, playing under that microscope what that did for my game until I wasn't there anymore. And it's like, you know, it's a blue collar city, right? Like, you know, Montreal, people come there, they're passionate about their, their, their team. They're passionate about the game. They know the game. But the one thing I learned about playing in Montreal is obviously they love players that come in there and score goals. They love to see the team win. But the one thing that I made sure and that I could feel with the fan base was that, Every time you stepped on that ice, if you gave 150%, that fan base would never boo you. They'd never be down on you. They'd always support you. And that's a rare thing to find in sports. The Montreal fan base, you know, I didn't always have great games there. I wasn't always the best player on the ice every night, but I never took a shift off. And, you know, that speaks volumes about their fan base. And I I think that, you know, Nashville is very happy to play there. In New Jersey, obviously, I've only played one year with fans, but... Montreal is a very, very, very special place to play, and there's, there's nothing like it, in my opinion. When I first took an interest in hockey, when the Atlanta Flames, way back in the early 70s, wow. came into existence, we, we used to go to the Atlanta Flames games, but I remember those Montreal teams of Yvonne Cornoyer and Jean Beliveau and Frank Mahovlich and, all, and Jacques Laperriere. That really created my love of that game and knowing that, man, when you walk into that arena and you feel the chill in the air and you hear the sound of a hockey game, there's, there's, there's nothing like it. Um, what was it like for you to play against your brother when, when Malcolm is between the pipes for Vegas and you're playing for Nashville and your dad, uh, Carl is there to see it. I mean, can you even describe the, just all the emotions of a night like that? I would have never thought in a million years, you know, I, I never, thought about that and what that would be like so when it happened it was very very overwhelming you know because uh, you know you're so focused on your craft and and what you're trying to do and what you're trying to accomplish and I've never played a hockey game where I've had that much emotion you know inside of me right seeing my brother across the ice the only thing that would be comparable to to that was when I went back to Montreal after the trade and they had the standing ovation and I'm crying on the ice that's the only time that I'd ever been that emotional. So, and to have my dad there, you know, the number one thing with your parents is you never want to let your parents down. You only want to make them proud. And to see my dad on the ice and, and see the look in his energy and my mom and to see how proud they were to see the both of us on the ice. Um, you know, that, that was it for me. You know, that's all I needed. I can only imagine what that was like after all those years and, you know, growing up and playing with your brothers and, and then realizing that, that dream. And, and you, he did, he did uh, have a save on one of your shots that night, right? Listen to me. I was pissed at the end of the night because that <laughs> Vegas team, I don't know how much money was put up on the board, but they didn't want, I couldn't get a look at the net that night. Like I, I think I may have had one shot and I think it was outside the blue line. Like they were all over me the whole night. So I knew that their team before the game said, if anybody's going to score, it ain't going to be PK. So I was pissed at the end of the night. And they did it again to me when I went to Vegas and I played against them. So to this day, I think I maybe have one shot on them. 
I was pissed also that first game in Nashville because we had the shootout. It went in the shootout. Right. And God bless Peter Laviolette. I love playing for him. He's a great coach. He's a great man. I got a lot of respect for him. But it's like, Pete, you got to put me in that shootout, man. You got to put me in that shootout. Like, come on. Like, come on, man. I was so pissed. I wanted to go against him so bad. Man. Yeah, he, you know, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't know TV, man. Well, it's, honestly, that's <laughs> that's what it's all about is sports entertainment, you know. And I would have played it up a little bit, too, for sure. Well, listen, speaking of entertainment, when did you develop your personality in Flash? When I was about seven years old, I was playing in a hockey tournament in Toronto. And it was at double rinks. And we were playing against Detroit Bell Tire. And I remember I was on the ice, and one of the kids from Detroit on the team had said something to me, had called me a name. And I remember after the second period, I went into the locker room and I was crying and everything. And the coach runs up and says, uh, Mrs. Subban, Maria, can you please come down and, and talk to PK? And my mom comes down and I'm in the room crying and all these kids are there and they're like, you know, the kids are seven years old. They have no idea what's going on, but I know what happened. And I'm crying and my mom goes, comes in the room and she goes, what are you crying for? Like literally just, she's like, what are you crying? I come outside. She goes, what's wrong? I said, you know, this guy called me the N-word. He called me this. And she's like, who can't, like, I don't care what they call you. I don't care what anybody calls you. Like, so what? Someone calls you a name you don't want to play? And I said, no, I want to play. And she said, well, PK, listen to me. If you don't want to play because someone called you a name, I got a problem with that. If you don't want to play because you don't want to play hockey anymore and you want to do something else, that's different. But you are who you are. Go out and play the game and have fun. And doesn't matter what anybody says to you. You know what you stand for. You know where you come from. You have confidence. You have self-esteem in yourself. Nobody should be able to say anything to you on that ice that's going to make you feel this way. It doesn't matter. So I went out there and played the game. But the conversation that I had with my parents after that was, you know, PK, you need to be who you are. You're not going to change for anybody. You're not going to change because someone tells you to change. You are great just the way you are. We love you just the way you are. And your personality makes you who you are. And as I developed my game, I also grew as a person and became more comfortable in my skin and became more comfortable being myself. Like, you know, my personality, people always talk about it and say, you know, you got so much personality. I'm like, that's just me being me. I grew up in a family of five kids. I got five kids. If you hang out around my family, that's who we are. We're, we're a fun group loving, caring. We welcome anyone. My mom opens the door to anybody. We come in, but we're all about, you know, Bella Vita, I call it, you know, the beautiful life. It's all positive energy, positive vibes, but I have a zest for life. I'm lucky to do it. I've worked very hard to get to the NHL, but I'm, I'm also very fortunate to play hockey for a living. And, you know, I, I was very fortunate to start my career when I did it 20 years old. And I, I don't know, I, I don't know any other way to be other than to be myself and enjoy it all. Hey, I do have to ask you a question about, about COVID. How low did it lay you? Well, I, I'm very, very diligent and, uh, you know, organized with how I take care of my body. And with this COVID stuff coming up for the past year, I've been very, very diligent with how I take care of myself so that if I got it, I'd be able to say, okay, now I can really judge this thing for what it is rather than not taking care of yourself and being out for two, three weeks and being like, I can't breathe, I can't move, I'm sore. I was down for a day, maybe a day and a half. And when I say down, like I was still doing stuff. I had a little bit of a fever, a little bit of body aches. But after a day and a half, I felt like I could play a game. Like I was, I was good. You know, I take 10,000 milligrams of vitamin D a day. So, you know, I don't really mess around. So it wasn't too bad for me. But the thing was, is that because of the protocols for COVID, I couldn't do anything for 14 days. So there's no, like, at 14 days at the end of the season where teams and players are getting ready for the playoffs to step in and play the two last games of the season was going to be really tough for me. PK, how was hockey without fans? Okay, well, no offense to the fans, but for those first couple games, I kind of enjoyed it, you know, just being <laughs> able to focus on the ice. It was like, I think a couple of the players were like, it's kind of nice just to be playing and, like, just playing the game, not having all these distractions. But as the season went on, you know, you could feel it more and more. We're like, man, we need the fans. Like, this this game is like, that's why we play the game. 
is, is to be in that arena. And I'm an emotional player. Like I play, I feed off the energy of the fans and the building and, and all that stuff. So, you know, we really, really missed it. And this was a really tough year for, for the players in the NHL, man. Like, you know, it, it was really, really, really tough for us. Um, you know, and considering that we only traveled within our little kind of bubble, like, you know, for us in New Jersey, we only went to Philly, uh, played the Rangers, the Islanders, uh, Buffalo, like we kind of stayed right in that area. So that was tough, but getting the fans back, I just got a taste of it at the end of the season. Uh, it's a huge difference, huge difference, huge difference. I'm happy for the guys playing in the playoffs that they're playing in front of fans. Best and worst fight. Best and worst fight. Wow. Best fight was against uh, Troy Brower. Uh, he's pretty tough. Other than and, and also Sotheby. I fought Sotheby when I was in my first year or two. Worst fight. I mean, I don't know if it's a worst fight, but if you watch that fight against Marshawn, I had a moment when I threw a haymaker, completely missed him and fell over. The Boston Garden <laughs> was going crazy. Everybody, I still get a kick out of it. Like when I want to make somebody laugh, I'll send them that clip. Um, I'm like you, Chuck. I make fun of myself all the time. Well, make sure you send me that clip. I want to laugh about it. Okay, I'll send it to you. <laughs> when the guys are sitting around talking and telling minor league hockey stories, what's the what's your go-to? Oh, man. So when I was playing in the minors, my first year in the minors was my first year driving myself. All of junior, I never had a car. Never had a car. I had no money. Like, never had a car, nothing. So I get to the minors, and I get this 98 Pathfinder. And you get over, like, 80 kilometers, and the thing starts to go like this, right? So everybody <laughs> kind everybody kind of knew I was driving a shitbox. So when I was when I was playing in Hamilton, we had this practice. We had practiced at, like, 9 in the morning, but it wasn't at the rink that we always practice at. It was at this community rink. My alarm clock didn't go off that morning and I'm a rookie and I'm like shit in my pants. I'm like, man, like this is like my first year playing pro. The last thing I want to do is be late for practice. So I'm driving in this thing. I'm driving in it and I get to the, the rink and all the guys are still on the bus. Like they just got there, but I was supposed to be on the bus. So I drove to the rink. All these guys are on the bus. So they're all coming out of the bus and I drive and I get there and I like open up the hood of the of the truck. To make it look like I was fixing something, like there was something wrong with my car. So I go over to the guys and like, PK, where have you been? You're like, I'm like, oh no, I had some car issues. You know this shit box over here. So I get into the room and there's there's this our assistant coach Dan Lacroix. He's a funny guy. As a joke, after we had team meeting, he drew this like picture of me with the hood, like standing in front of the car, like scratching my head, like with a bubble, like and drew it, and everybody started dying. So. That was kind of like my welcome to pro moment where they're like, you know, you get a free pass the first time. It happens again. You get in fine. Excellent. I love it. I love it. Our guest has been the Subinator, PK. Really enjoyed having you on. And I, I didn't even tell you the rule before you went into the steam room, but you have, you've abided by it. You kept your towel on. We appreciate that. And thanks for the stories. Thanks for the insight on on hockey on TV. Thanks for 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 the stand you've taken and for what you're doing off the ice, man. Because that's amazing. Yeah, so that's really it's what it's what we need, and um, and and using that platform the way you do. And and here's to hoping that more kids learn who Willie O'Ree was. Yes, the the Jackie Robinson of of hockey, and uh, we'll follow in his path as you have. And uh, you've you've done yourself proud, and you've done the league proud, man. And and, and you've done the steam room proud too, man. We've loved having you. Well, thank you. And listen, anytime, I'd love to come on again. If you guys need me, I'd love to come on. I have a lot of respect for you guys and what you do. I watch the show all the time. I think that you guys have really transcended, you know, sports broadcasting and how it should be done. You know, uh, everybody loves watching you guys. Um, you know, I don't know about Shaq, though. I don't know about him. <laughs> we don't either. Chuck, exactly. We may have to do something about Shaq. But, no, you guys do a great job. And I, I appreciate you guys having me on. And, uh, you know, the league's in a good spot. So I'm, I'm really happy about this deal moving forward. And I hope to see a lot of more, more of you guys. You know I love you, man. I'm proud of you. I wanted people to know about all the great charity stuff you're doing. And, uh, hey, uh, number one, send me that video. And if you ever need me to help you with charity, let me know, my brother. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Ernie. Thanks, Chuck. Thank you. Uh, we appreciate you, PK. Thanks, man. All right. Bye now.
That's awesome. Oh man, I forgot to ask him one last question. What's that? I haven't left yet. Okay, what does PK stand for? Well, Chuck, that depends on who you are and how you know me. Come on now. <laughs> could stand, hey, it could mean a lot of things. PK stands for Pernell Carl. So Pernell Whitaker was a boxer. Oh yeah. Yeah, my parents named me after Pernell and Carl's my dad's name. So PK okay. stands for Pernell Carl. Sweet P Whitaker, okay. There you go, Sweet P, baby. Oh yeah. All right, man, thank you again. All right, thanks, Chuck. Thanks, Ernie. Appreciate you, PK. Thanks, man. Legend. That's all I'm saying. Legend. Thank you, Ernie. You don't have to say that. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, it, obviously it applies to you, Chuckster, but it also applies to the longtime uh, producer and executive producer and coordinating producer of Inside the NBA, Tim Kiley, who joins us as he always does, or almost always does, when he's not taking two weeks vacation in the middle of the NBA season. Of life, Ernie. TK is here. How are you? Well, hey, hey, let me ask you guys something. Huh? How is, how is it to get a vacation in the middle of the season? I wouldn't know anything about that. How is that? Well, Chuckster, you have to have a lot of pulls, you know, and uh, unfortunately you're a low man on the totem pole. Yep. So, you know. <laughs> That's okay. You got to think ahead, Chuck. See, look. Yeah. You know, when we were doing, when we were doing March Madness, the wheels were already spinning in my head. And I said, you know what? The family's going on vacation without me right after March Madness. So I said, hey, look, after that March Madness, I'd like that first Thursday off so I could be with my family down at the beach. And and there was some deliberation and there was some hesitation, but then came the word, uh, sure. So that's how I got that little uh, time off. And it recharged my battery. I think you can tell. I have not been the same man since. I have just been so over the top. Just for the record, there was no hesitation or deliberation on mine. It just said a hard no. <laughs> exactly what TK's talking about, man. You got to have some juice. Ernie, speaking of family, yes, this is a big weekend for family coming up. Memorial Day weekend. Lots of stuff happening. The pools are opening up. The kids are out of school and the grills are getting fired up. So I just have a few questions about grilling for you guys. Oh, I'm the black Emerald Lagasse on the grill. Uh, you, boo. you actually, you, you got to be kidding me. What do you grill? Steak, hot dogs, hamburgers, corn. Come on, man. What about pork butt? No, 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 no. I, 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 I like pork belly. Um, I mean, that's a golf course I play at in Phoenix. Every Wednesday they have pork belly tacos and they are ridiculous the chef is off the chain with that pork belly taco do you get those at the turn chuck or do you have those post yeah you get them at the turn no 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 you get them at the turn huh okay they're unbelievable chuck would you grill shrimp skewers oh yeah uh you know i'm not a seafood guy but i probably could could do it yes all right ej what are must-haves on the johnson grill well i i'm normally the chicken legs guy uh when we're when we're doing that for our you know sunday dinners when we have the kids over or we have the in-laws over that kind of thing so i'll i'll do those cheryl ann does the steaks and like chuck some ha some hamburgers and hot dogs and that kind of thing but cheryl ann's the one who who gets yeah she's she's awesome tk i love hot dogs hot dogs on the grill Got to. Well, you, and like you, you get them crunchy, Ooh. you get them crunchy. Then you just throw like my. I had to have onions on them because uh, I love raw onions. His mouth is watering, Ernie. I am. I get excited to think about those raw onions. But, but here's the thing, Chuckster, about you. You know, you're saying, oh yeah, you'll do steaks on the grill. But you know, there's no art to that for you because you know what. Do, what do you mean? Because you're not caring. You know. If, that it gets done perfectly, you know, that it's medium rare, or that it's medium and that it's not because you, you petrify your steaks anyway, man. You just sit there until you, you can't even cut into those bad boys. They're, you, they're so well done. They're charcoal, Ernie. It just take a little extra time for a well done steak. Michael Eve sent me a text. He was, we were talking about steaks. He says, I'm the guy who's always shaking the whole table trying to cut up my steak. You are. No, it just takes a little more time. I know, that's all but it takes. still, that thing is just, I don't know how you eat them that way, man. I've been trying to get a medium well, 
uh, yeah. lately. Come on, Chuck. Have a little juice in them. Let's go. Oh, Ooh, you that's got not you. juice. Like, that's blood, man. That ain't juice. That's good for your soul. Oh, no, 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 no. No, no. my steak, uh, medium well. Ernie, three must-have sides. Must-have sides for a, for a cookout? Yeah. No, for Memorial Day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for, uh, yeah, I mean that's it's that time. It's it's you know the weather's hot. You know you get you get your, uh, your your chicken legs. You get maybe some baked beans that you get going there. You get some like Chuck says some corn on the cob that you put on that that you put on the grill too. Uh, that's all good. Cornbread? Uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't I don't really need cornbread for that. Might have some fries. Might have some of the so those tater tots. Maybe some. Maybe some sweet potato fries. Ooh. Well, on my end, you got you got to have baked beans, uh, which are, are and, and when you put the hot dogs in them, that takes it to a whole another level. I remember my grandmother and mother used to make those. You get those baked beans and put some hot dogs in them. Oh, then you got potato salad and oh, coleslaw. Oh yeah, how, how, how could I forget that potato salad? Either you guys had German potato salad. Yes. What does that mean? Oh, Chuck, no mayonnaise. It's just vinegar and bacon and onion in with the in with the potatoes. Yeah, it's good. Okay, I, I haven't had those, but... Uh, Hot German potato salad. Go for it. Are you a coleslaw guy, Chuckster? I am a coleslaw guy. Uh, I do. I like me some coleslaw. Plain and simple, brother. The, the really, really, really chopped up fine kind or uh, something that's got a little more substance to it? Oh, I, I can do either. I can do either. Uh, I've had the chopped up kind. I like that. But it depends on if you want it creamy or with vinegar. I mean, I try them all. I like coleslaw. I mean, like I said, you can get them with a little twang on, on the uh, with vinegar, or you can just get them the other way. Ever do a slaw dog? Uh, yeah, I like doing the slaw dog. Sneaky Pete's. Ooh, those are good, Ernie. That is a great call. Yeah, Sneaky Pete's. That's, that's a little hot dog joint in Alabama. I actually go to that now. I love the slaw dog. But my favorite... Um, Onions and chili, or onions and mayo and ketchup, mustard and ketchup. Excuse me. Yeah, it's cool. Onions are awesome, brother. I love onions on hot dogs. All right, fellas. We also know that Memorial Day is a special day to honor soldiers who fought for us. So we always take the time. I know on the show to honor the soldiers and take the time now to do it. You know, I've been working with the war- wounded warriors for the last few years, and man, I admire anybody who got the courage to go to war. Uh, and I just want to say thank you to all the soldiers and definitely the wounded warriors and uh, tell our government to get off their ass and make sure we always take care of our soldiers. They've done an awful job through history, but uh, that should be their number one priority, taking care of our soldiers. They make it so we can do this silly uh, podcast and run up and down the court dribbling a basketball. So shout out to all the soldiers. Shout out to Ernie's dad, Marine Corps. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Yeah, that's 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 just that's amazing. And your dad was in the Marines, and you just a lowly sportscaster. Yep, you're you're exactly right. Y'all must have lived on a hill. The apple fell a long way from the tree. All I try to do every day <laughs> is try to be the best version of that guy that I can, and I'll never get there. But I but it gives you a goal every day. Closer than you think, sir. Yes, you are, Ernie. That Ali, good boys, have a great Memorial Day. Unfortunately, we'll see far too much of each other, but. Let's not forget who got us there. You're right, brother. Right you are, TK. Thanks, man. You're a legend. Yeah, I see you guys. <laughs> legend. Wow. Chuck and Ernie in steam room. Come and join us in steam room. Chuck and Ernie in steam room. Leave your towel on in steam room. I don't know if I have like a favorite segment of the podcast every week, Chuck, but I know ranking near the top, uh, week in, week out, is Chuck's answering machine because um, of the uh, wide range of phone calls we get uh, at 404-987-0330. This is my favorite. I understand we have three messages. Uh-oh. This week. And again, it's, it's not like we only get three messages. We have three that are worthy of being uh, shared here on the podcast. Well, because the other hundred calls are calling me every name in the book. So these are all the three positives. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Spin it. You've reached Charles Barkley. Leave a message, America. Chuck, Ernie, this is Colin, loyal steamer out of Richmond, Virginia. 
Chuck, a buddies and I were at a local watering hole the other day, and I look up to a picture collage, and I swear I'm looking at Charles Barkley. My buddies say, no way. We call the waitress over. I ask her, is that Charles? She says, yes, that's Charles right there, arm in arm with Mr. Belting. We couldn't believe it. Question, Charles, what brought you to our fair city? And two, are you still friends with Mr. Belding? Thanks, guys. Mr. Belding of Saved by the Bell. He's always been a really, really good friend of mine. Uh, we've been friends forever. I met him at an all-star game when I was still playing, and we just stayed in touch. His real name is? Dennis. Dennis Haskins. Yes. Dennis Haskins is his real name. And uh, he's always been a great friend. I actually have lost contact with him because I reached out to Mario Lopez a couple months ago uh, trying to, because we used to talk uh, for the last 30 years, like all the time. And he, he reached out to Mario Lopez. Yeah. Are you guys tight? Uh, we're good friends. Uh, yeah. I just saw Mario recently here in Atlanta. I was with him, <laughs> him and Ric Flair. We just happened to be at the same place at the same time. Oh, this, is this just the name dropping segment of the show? Listen, I'll just apologize because famous people know each <laughs> other. Uh, you know, so shout out to my boy Mario Lopez and uh, Ric Flair. At Richmond, I've been, I was going to Richmond every year for 20 something years, my man, because my college assistant coach got the head coaching job there. So I went down and had a golf tournament for like, 10, 15 years. Mm -hmm. And then when he got fired, I kept doing the tournament because I made so many friends in Richmond. And I went with, did the same tournament with Anthony Grant, who's the head coach at uh, Dayton now. And then with Shaka Smart. But I went to Richmond every year and they were great. So, man, it was a little dive bar we would go to every Monday night. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of pictures of me on that wall down in Richmond. Richmond has always been a big fan of, of Charles Barkley ever since they knocked you out of the NCAA tournament, huh? A little too soon for that, Ernie. I haven't gotten over <laughs> that one yet. It's a little too soon, the Spiders. And they were coached by the great Dick Tarrant. Yeah. That was a heck of a game. But, man, uh, so Richmond is a very uh, fun spot for me. Uh, how about call number two? Good afternoon, Charles. And good morning, Charles. This is Al from Portland wishing you a wonderful day. Third of all, I've been listening to the podcast for two decades now, so well done, you two. Uh, it's good to be in the scream room, and I'll keep my howl on today. So always good to be in the scream room with you two. My question, before you both became well-known celebrities, what was the kindest thing you experienced from someone other than your family? Thanks so much, and all the best to you, Charles, Chef, Kenny, TJ, and you too, Bernie. Thanks so very much. Keep up the great job. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bernie. <laughs> well, number one, thanks for being a fan in Portland, one of my favorite cities in the world. Uh, well, Beaverton, I guess that's where Nike is. Shout out to Phil Knight and Howard White, two of the most important people in my life, and Lynn Merritt. Um, I'm going to say I had some great teachers in high school, Miss Hill, Miss Turk, obviously Coach, Coach Honeycutt and uh, Coach Copeland, but there was a teacher named Mary Robinson, and she lived in Pinson Valley, which is a city in Leeds. She lived on this humongous farm with a million trees. So she took me and a couple of the kids to her house and, and paid us on the weekend, and we were kind of just, we just worked around the house or in the yard, uh, cutting grass and Rick and Lee's and and it was just so kind to her. Like we didn't have any money, but she gave us a little, a little mini, mini summer job. Uh, so that to me is one of the nicest thing anybody's ever done to me. So Miss Mary Robinson, man, just shout out. Think she's passed away. It was just nice of her to get us, keep us out of trouble. You know, um, I was going to go one of two directions on this thing. One of them uh, is a story from the mean streets of Milwaukee, Chuckster. Um, and, and you've been in that very neighborhood. Remember a couple of years ago, Easter Conference Finals, we had the cookout over there in my old front yard. Oh, yeah. But there was a woman who lived about four doors up named Mrs. Marks. And when I was really small, I used to walk up to her house all the time and she would give me those little boxes of raisins, you know, those little, mm -hmm. little sun-made raisins. I used to love those bad boys. 
and it got so uh, annoying that I was always going up and just knocking on the door and asking for raisins. And so my mom said, you have got to stop going up to Mrs. Marks and bugging her for raisins. So next day I walked up to her door and I knocked, I knocked on it and Mrs. Marks opened it up and, and I said, Mrs. Marks, my mom says, I can't ask for any more raisins, but if you ask me, Ernie, do you want some raisins? I'll say yes. <laughs> oh, I love that. that I, I worked my way around that. And the other would be always remembering the coaches that you had when you were growing up. And one in particular for me is Roger Thompson, who lives up in North Carolina now, and he's uh, probably about 90 years old. And he's one of these guys who was a great baseball coach, but just was wonderful around, you know, you're 10, 11, 12, when you're that age, uh, was a tremendous, tremendous uh, coach. He was good friends with Bart Starr. And I remember before our championship game when I was 10 years old playing baseball and we're in the dugout and he takes out of his pocket a telegram that says, wishing you the best in the championship game from a fellow champion. And they just won the Super Bowl, Bart Starr. And, and so that was, that, was, that was just one of those moments. And I, I actually went and saw Roger Thompson uh, a couple of years ago. It surprised him, thought I would just kind of try to give him, a, you know, what I call those Blackberry moments and show up at his door. Yeah. And he and his wife answered the door and we went in and we talked. And then as I was getting ready to leave, he came up from the basement with the championship trophy from that 1967 year and gave it to me. Wow. And I was like, wow, that, yeah, that's a knee buckler moment. You, you mentioned Bart Starr. And anytime I get to mention Mr. Starr, man, we weren't great friends, but I spent some time around him, man. Him and his wife, Cherry, they are the nicest people you're ever going to meet. Mr. Starr, man, he was, I got nothing but love and admiration from him. Yeah. And Because I was like, man, there's the great Bart Starr. He was just a nice man, so rest in peace. Yeah, and I so I always encourage folks too, uh, you know, folks my age. Look, don't don't ever let those men and women who were influences in your life, don't let that memory go. And and these days, when it's easy to find, you know, with the internet and with Facebook and with all the social media, you can find some people. Reach out to them and let them know that you still remember what they did for you, because I've I've seen firsthand the impact that can have. So if you're, if you're able to do that and believe me, it, it is, is one of the most gratifying things to do is, is to touch base with somebody who had an influence in your life and let them know that you still appreciate it. I probably should do that with Mr. Honeycutt and coach Copeland and coach Honeycutt, man, he, he would live, even though he lived a long way away, he would come back and open a gym every weekend to give us something to do to stay out of trouble. So I should probably reach out to coach Honeycutt and coach Copeland. And we appreciate the call from Al, but maybe I should call him Hal since he called me Bernie. Whatever. <laughs> Next call. Hi, Charles. Hi, Ernie. This is Christian from Germany. First of all, I want to give a shout out to both of you for that podcast. I'm a huge fan since the first episode. I really love and enjoy listening to you guys every week. My first question is for Jackson. Charles, I know you've been to Germany about 25 years ago for the game where you met Dirk the very first time and where he dunked on you. Have you ever been in Germany since and what was your greatest experience there? My second question is to both of you. When did you guys release Steam Room merchandise for all the loyal steamers out there? I'm thinking of bathrobes, sandals, and of course, towels. Let me know. Take care. Be safe and all the best. Bye-bye. Excellent call from Germany, from Christian. Thank you so much. Well, first, please don't tell TNT about merchandise. They'll have this. Well, we need some. I think that's the best part of that, man. I'd love to have some, some merch. To answer your question, I have been to Germany. It's actually, and I'm not just saying this because you call. I think it's like my uh, one, one, maybe my, uh, well, Canada's, uh, that's like another One of your favorite also. countries. No, Germany is one of my favorite places to visit. I really like going to Germany. Uh, obviously, that's where I discovered Dirk Nowitzki and made him a legend he is. Lucky me. Uh, but no, I've been there probably 10 times, man. I love your country. Uh, Munich, to me, is amazing. And I just thought the people were nice, too. Uh, so I, I, I've been in your country many, many times. Uh, Y'all can thank me for discovering Dirk Nowitzki because I did it all on my own. Uh, but 
hey, I will definitely come back again. I promise you that. And as far as that second question goes about steam room merchandise, we're going to have to ask Cap, uh, Michael Kaplan, are we in a position where we can do that, where we could actually have some steam room merchandise? Maybe I, I liked his idea. Bathrobes towels for sure you know keep this on kind of a thing on there hey if there's a demand out there for it chuckster who are we to stand in the way let's wait till there's a demand how about that obviously there is there's a demand from christian in germany who's demanding merch one thing is not a demand you think he's the only person who wouldn't like a steam room coffee mug I'd like a steam room coffee mug. Where do we have any steam room coffee mugs? He's the only person in two years asked for merchandise. I'm asking for merchandise too. <laughs> I already have. There is a robe out there, and you've seen TK wear the robe before. Yeah, sadly, I have. Sadly, so there were there were Ugh. a few robes made. I think that would it be might, uh, so. Clearly, it's not a one size fits all. The TK got one. You know, and th- yeah, and then we could actually, uh, for our guests, we could give steam room guests some merch. And then we could make it available. And how about this? If we choose your call to be on the answering machine, we're going to send you something that says steam room on it. Are you serious? I think it'd be a good idea. Wow. Yeah. Maybe we could have steam room blazers that we could wear when we do the podcast. (laughs) Like the old CBS blazers that they still use at CBS. All kind of good ideas. All kind of good ideas. The idea is not good ideas. There's a difference. And I can see that Cap is not interested because he hasn't chimed in. So anyway, uh, that's that's the steam room for this time around. I want to thank uh, PK Subban. He was great, uh, great talking to him. Such a good dude. Yes, you guys are yeah. alike. You guys have some similar traits, man. You both speak your mind. You're both out there. You're both yourselves. You know, it's like you like you don't have some different persona because of what you do or or what you're or what you're doing. And I and I think that's a good thing. I really do. Appreciate the comment. Glad, uh, glad we got to talk about all this charity stuff. Though. He does some amazing things. Love that Blue Line Buddies initiative too, man. That is really cool to have law enforcement and and uh, like underprivileged kids going to games together, and, you know, learning each other's stories. And then and the, for, then for him to say he's had police officers who, who would out of their own pocket then uh, take it the next level and take a kid to a game. That's good stuff. We need more of that. But we don't need any more of the steam room for today. I think we've we've exhausted our supply, and, and you loyal steamers have been uh, thank you, loyal steamers again hanging out with us. We appreciate you. We'll talk to you again next week, and uh, maybe we'll have some more about Charles and and uh, Mr. Belding. We can only hope so. Shout out Dennis Haskins. <laughs> <laughs>